Um, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to read the Scripture passage. That can be found in your worship guide. It'll also be on the screen. It's a little bit longer today, um, but I would tell you, again, if you're new to Ironworks, one of the reasons we do this is because in Ironworks, we really value the Scripture, right? I, I like to tell folks that you shouldn't really care a whole lot about what I have to say, except insofar as what I have to say is an accurate representation of what the Scripture has to say. And Paul will, uh, will say to us, give a special attention to the public reading of Scripture. And so I like to do that here. I think it's an important part of our worship, and even for the kids, I think it's important. And this narrative in particular, uh, I think is important for us to hear the whole context to it. So I'm going to ask you to just listen with open ears as I read these words from the book that we love coming to us today from... Uh, the prophet Samuel, which is 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1 through verse 25. Would you listen now with open ears? And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man has, who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, by this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor, he, nor did he eat food with them. 
On the seventh day, the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, The child is dead? He may do himself some harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, Is the child dead? They said, He is dead. And David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and he worshiped. And he went then to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servants said to him, What is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was still alive. But then when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her, and she bore a son and called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to this word, uh, and we sit under these words, and these are hard words. And I recognize, Father, that as we come now, that we do come from all kinds of different places. Some of us come here today, and we are filled uh, with joy. Lord, others of us come here today, and we are filled with uh, deep sorrow. Some of, others, some of us come here today uh, living a life of ease. Some of us come here today bearing burdens that feel too great for us. Lord, some of us come here today carefree. Others of us come here today weighed down by all kinds of worries and anxieties. Lord, some of us come here today with bodies that work quite well. Others of us come here today, uh, Lord, with all kinds of sickness, uh, with all kinds of pain. Lord, longing for new bodies. And Lord, lastly, some of us come here today believing in you and hoping in you and trusting in you and looking forward to hearing from you today. Others of us come here today unsure what we think of you, or perhaps we are holding on to faith in you barely by a thread, or perhaps we're here today quite sure that we don't believe in you. Whatever place we find ourselves in, uh, whether we are here in joy or in sadness, whether we are here in comfort or in despair, whether we are here in faith or in doubt, pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that we do all ultimately come the same, with an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, to be changed by you. And I pray that you would open our eyes and show us how you have addressed this need in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. Kids, again, it's great to be with you. Just a reminder of the rules, kids, I want you to do a couple things for me. I want you to listen, I want you to not talk, and I want you to do the drawings uh, as I share them with you. And if you do, we have a non-dollar store prize for you. <laughs> big spender. Chrissy was a big spender yesterday, not just for the church, but for our family as well. So you can pray for us afterwards. Um, but uh, so I'm dying to see the prizes that she has for you. So what I want you to do, first of all, is uh, draw a picture of what it looks like to you to play with your closest friend. Okay, what does it look like for you to play with your closest friend? 
draw a picture of that. So we are in our sermon series that we're calling Friend of Sinners. What does it look like for you to have a fruitful friendship with someone who is a sinner? And the way that I'm setting up this series is I'm bringing to light this reality that uh, what I've seen happen is that I watch people enter into friendship with another person, and then often what happens is those two folks enjoy one another right up until the point that some kind of a sin happens from one to the other or sometimes in both directions, and then oftentimes those people go their separate ways. Right? It's one thing to acknowledge, oh, yes, we're sinners. That's so nice. We love each other. Everything's fine. Right up until the point that the sin happens to be against you. Right? And this is true both, by the way, in marriage and in platonic friendships. Right? It's one thing to acknowledge that, yes, I love you. You're a sinner. That's great. Let's all play in the lilies together. Whatever Sam was talking about in the Song of Solomon, I have no idea. Right? It sounds a little weird. Um, But it's another thing when that person happens to sin against you. What does that look like? How do you move forward? What what is the, the formula for that? Now, this passage in particular is going to address a particular case study of sin that is of particular interest, I think, to our culture uh, specifically. It's one of the main reasons I find that people are offended by Christianity, right? Is anyone here offended? Anyone here offended by Christianity? Probably don't want to raise your hand in this room. Um, that's okay. I don't blame you. I'll just tell all of us here why many folks are offended by Christianity. It's one of the main reasons I hear, okay? People tell me, they say, I'm offended by Christians because they're hypocrites, right? Christians are hypocrites. One time, I was talking to someone years and years and years ago, and uh, this person, you know, was kind of, you know, he, he was moving in with his girlfriend. They weren't married. And I said to him, I said, man, really don't think you should move in with your girlfriend if you're not married. And you know what he said to me? He said, let me tell you something. Everyone in this church is a hypocrite. And I said, okay, great. And I was like, but I still don't think you should move in with your girlfriend. <laughs> and he said, but, but you have to understand, everyone in this church is a hypocrite. And I was like, but I still don't think you should move in with your girlfriend. <laughs> I don't see the problem with this, right? But in his mind, you know, the fact that other people were hip, anyway, I, we were kind of at a deadlock. Um, yeah, so one of the reasons that people have a problem with Christianity is they say, you know, Christian people say one thing and then they do another thing. And to that I say, yeah, pretty much, right? Like, let's, let's rehearse a, a few examples, right? I, I wonder what your favorite example is. I'll, I'll give you some of mine. So Chrissy and I went to a Bible institute back in the 60s. No, I'm just kidding. We went, no, no, she went to a Bible institute in the 60s. I, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to be in, I don't know, does anyone want to host me tonight? No. I see that hand. No. We went to a Bible Institute in 2000. Okay. Went to Bible Institute in 2000. Anyone want to guess what every sermon was about in the year 2000? Anyone remember what every sermon at a fundamentalist Bible Institute was about in the year 2000? 
Anyone want to guess? Come on, who, who knows? I am deaf and can't hear you, but I'm just going to assume that you said Bill Clinton. Yes, Bill Clinton. Every sermon was about Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky, right? Every sermon was Bill Clinton is a horrible man. One person actually decided that he was the Antichrist, which was a big topic, by the way, in our circles back then. One person decided that he was actually, you know, a character in the Bible that we had been waiting for for 2,000 years, and he's finally arrived on the scene, right? And his name was Bill Clinton. <laughs> and, you know, we knew that he was the Antichrist because he was the president who also was an adulterer, okay? Fast forward about 20 years, and some of those same people are now saying that now, 20 years later, we're preaching sermons saying, Donald Trump is God's appointed savior for Christianity. Even though, as far as I can tell, you know, he had at least in, at some point in time committed some kind of adultery, right? And, and the war, you know, a lot of folks look at that and they say, well, that kind of seems a little hypocritical. I don't really know what to do with this. So they say, no, 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 it's not. There's all kinds of reasons why it's not. I didn't understand it, still don't understand it. Seemed a little hypocritical at the time, right? One example. What's another example? Well, let's pick on, let's pick on a liberal, right? Because we want to be equal opportunity offenders, right? I don't want to, I don't want to get in trouble with, I don't want to, I don't leave anyone out from being offended. Okay. So recently, recently, um, my favorite three-letter person, AOC, right? Uh, Becky, I'm sorry. Listen, I love her, okay? But she, she is wonderful, but she's always picking on the rich. Always picking on the rich. Tax the rich, the rich are so mean, and everything like this. But recently, she's saying, you know, I hate Jeff Bezos, I hate Elon Musk. And listen, I draw the line at Elon Musk, because I'm a huge fan of SpaceX, right? I'm a huge, anyone that's going to space, I just, I really appreciate. She's always always picking on Elon, even though he sold all of his mansions and lives in a $50,000 house, you know, and has all this money, but he doesn't spend it on himself and all this stuff. And yet she buys a Tesla and, and parks illegally at Whole Foods, which is owned, last I checked, by Jeff Bezos. Okay? And is shopping there and is living in luxury and all these other sorts of things, right? So here's, what, here's the point. Hypocrisy is something that's endemic to humanity, okay? That's my point. My point isn't to like, is, and it's endemic to Darren, okay? This is the point. One of the things that I really appreciated, Chrissy was a part of a ministry before we married, and they did a, they did a research project that I found to be so helpful. You know, I don't do very many things right as a parent. Most of you know that. Um, but one thing that I do uh, commend to you <laughs> that I do feel like I do right is, and this comes from this research project, that they said uh, kids that rebel lifelong, they found uh, rebel because parents never admitted wrong. It was a big, big problem in like Christian culture was that they found that kids that left the faith and never came back were the kids that had parents who never once admitted wrong. And they said the parents that, the kids that didn't rebel were in families where parents freely admitted wrong, right? They were the ones that would often 
come back or would, would come back to the faith and would be fruitful in that regard. So why is that the case? Well, I think it's because hypocrisy is such a powerful force, is it not? So is there a way out of hypocrisy? Is there an answer to this? Right? I think this passage will give us a way into this uh, as far as I can see. So I want to get into it with you this morning. What is an answer to hypocrisy? I think what we'll see in this passage is that part of God's means at getting at the problem of hypocrisy is the means of friendship, right? You want to escape hypocrisy in your own life? Most, most of you, I think, are hearing this problem and you're hearing about, oh, all these, you know, I'm a hypocrite. Most of the time when I've ever heard teaching on this, the way that I've responded to it is I've said, I'm just going to try harder. I'm not going to be AOC, right? I'm not going to be, uh, you know, those preachers picking on Bill Clinton, you know, and then going and supporting Donald Trump. I'm going to support the right candidate. That's, that's the way I've responded to most of these instances, right? That's, that's what most of you are probably thinking, if I had to guess. Wrong answer. Is there a way out of hypocrisy? Is there a way that you can escape this? The God's appointed means in this passage that we're going to see is actually through friendship. It's actually through having a certain kind of friendship. So let's look at it together. All right. So how is it that we get into hypocrisy, right? What's the reason that we live hypocritical lives? So the reason we do, actually, is that you have to understand that the way that sin functions in our lives is that sin is deeply connected to the lying activity of Satan. I'm studying uh, the book of Genesis with my son, currently my son Isaac, and it's really interesting to go through the book of Genesis with a nine-year-old. I highly recommend it because we go really slowly. And as we're going through it, one of the things that he was noticing the other night was how, how much lying there is in the mouth of Satan. Right? So, for example, Genesis 3.1, uh, the very first words of Satan in all of human history is actually questioning the Word of God. First thing, first time Satan opens his mouth, has God really said? He casts doubt on the Word of God. Second time Satan opens his mouth, he lies about God. You will not surely die. What is he doing? He's directly contradicting the Word of God. You see, Satan's fundamental activity is in lying and deception. The prophet Jeremiah will go on to say this. He will say, the heart is deceitful above all things, beyond cure. Who can understand it? You see, the activity of Satan is bound up in deception. Okay, that's how he works. It is bound up in deception. And therefore... When you are engaged in certain kinds of sin, it will always show up in self-deception that you cannot work yourself out of by yourself. That's just the way it works. So kids, what I want you to do is I want you to draw your, someone playing a trick on you. I don't know why this is so popular these days, but one of the things that kids love to do is to like trick each other. You know. I was going to try to get a magician today to do a trick. It didn't happen. Are there any magicians in the church for future reference? Okay. We are, we are in poverty with magicians. But um, maybe we'll have one in the future. 
kids, I want you to draw someone playing a trick on each other, you know, tricking someone. Um, yeah, look at, look at the, how interesting this works. David is able to see clearly how messed up what he did to Uriah is. He's able to get righteously angry. And this is how deception works, isn't it? David's righteous anger reflex is still working even while he is still in his own sin. That's, that's, by the way, how this works. When you're in sin, some of your reflexes still work, and you don't even know it. And one of the reflexes that still works that I find to be so fascinating is the reflex of judgment. So just because you feel perfectly fine condemning someone who's doing the same thing that you're doing doesn't mean that you're not actually, like, sinning in that moment, right? That's, you know, it's so interesting. I think that when we're condemning other people, right, when we're on Twitter just like, oh, these people are so stupid, and they're so wrong, and they got it all wrong, and they're, you know, they're on the wrong side of history, and this and that, part of why it feels good to do that is that it makes you think, oh, I'm not in the wrong here, right? I've, I've somehow avoided being wrong. And that's what David's doing. He's saying, and he's invoking the name of the Lord as the Lord, as Yahweh, holy God, and all of his holiness, right? He's invoking the holy name, the covenant name of the Lord as the holy God of heaven lives. This man deserves to die. He is ready to sentence this man to death. And as the king of Israel, he had the authority to carry out that sentence, right? In the presence of the prophet, he was ready to sentence this fictional character to death and quite likely could have just decreed that and carried it out, right? His judgment reflex was working just fine, right? So in the state of sin, oftentimes our judgment reflexes are working just fine, but not against ourselves. That's the way that deception works, right? And so that, that's the way that in sin, we often live in a state of complete self-deception. We are unable to see what's actually going on in ourselves, right? And it's this place of hypocrisy. So is there any way out of it? Is there any way out of a, of a state of self-deception? Well, the way out of it, of course, is through certain kinds of relationships, certain kinds of friendships, Right? And that's what we see uh, in the role of Nathan here. So kids, what I want you to do now, second drawing, is I want you to draw yourself protecting someone from tr being tricked. Right? I want, to, want you to draw someone trying to trick a friend, and I want you to draw yourself protecting them, you know, coming in to save the day, however that might look. All right? So is there a way out? And I want you to, to look here at verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan to David, right? The Lord sent Nathan to David. We see in the very beginning in verse 1 that friendship is from the Lord, right? That friendship is the Lord's means by which you escape the cycle of self-deception. 
And, and I just want to say to you, right, if you're, in a, if you're in a place where you don't have anyone in your life who could do to, Dave, to you what Nathan did to David, if you don't have anyone in your life who you would ever remotely trust to have a conversation with you at this level, then you are probably, chances are, if you're like older than two, you are probably to some degree self-deceived at this very moment. You probably are, right? Because this is God's means by which you escape that. And you need to go cultivate that and develop that starting today. You've got to do that. This is his means by which you escape that is through having this kind of friendship, this kind of person in your life, right? Uh, I want to, again, read to you. I think I've quoted this in the past, but I want to read to you again from our, our favorite author in this series, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. This is what he says. He says, nothing can be more cruel than the leniency that abandons others to their sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of sin. You see, God gives us friends who speak the word to us to break the cycle of self-deception and to keep us from great spiritual harm. And look at what Nathan does that's so helpful. He leads David into identifying David's own actions, but he does so hypothetically. You know, this was done to me once most memorable uh, confrontation in my own life. I was a young leader in a college group, and I criticized, uh, unjustly, I criticized a leader to another leader, and I was overheard by yet another leader, okay? And that leader that overheard me came to me and he said, Darren, you know, I want to just ask your advice about something. And I was like, yeah, go ahead. And she said, yeah, you know, we have a problem in this group. We have a leader, you know, unfairly criticizing another leader to a leader, and I, I don't know what we should do about this. What do you think we should do? And I was like, oh, yeah, this is a real problem. We need to, like, call a meeting. We need to get this out on the table, and this is, you know, something that just really needs to be addressed right away. And she's like, I'm so glad you said that because you're the leader. <laughs> and I was like, okay, then, right? Exactly what's happening in this passage. Yeah, what Nathan's doing is he's getting David to condemn himself. You know, Sam, actually, one of the, one of the things he said in, in one of his writings, super helpful uh, point he made, is he said, you know, one of the things that uh, on the last day, and it's one of the apologetics that he makes for uh, defending kind of Christian faith is he said, you know, not everyone agrees with all of the ethics of the Bible, right? Not everyone agrees that sex before marriage is wrong and all these sort of things. He said, but one of the one of the ways that we know that we're sinners is that we don't even have to be condemned by the law when we stand before God's judgment seat. All we have to do is to be condemned by a little voice recorder that's hung around our necks, right? Like even if you're an atheist and you just hang a voice recorder around your neck about all the standards that you have, and then you stand before God's like judgment seat and you play back that voice recorder, like, you're going to condemn yourself probably several hundred times, right? Not saying that's the truth of, of what's happening here, but the point is, is that, you know, we break even our own standards all the time. And that's what David is saying. He's saying, this man has done something so horrific. He deserves to die, and he must pay back fourfold, right? 
And Nathan, of course, says to him, he says, you are the man. You are the one who has done this. And he brings him out, tries to rescue him from uh, the wreckage that is his life. And friends, I just want to tell you, uh, by the way, um, I I included all of this uh, context. I'm not going to address all of the difficulty that it raises. I know it's a little bit questionable to to raise on Doodle Sunday, but this passage is the gateway into the wreckage that David's life would become, right? David was living a life of incredible victory right up until this time, right up until this event, right? Saul was the bad guy. David was the victor. He was the hero. And it's this experience that becomes the turning point into which David's life becomes an unfathomable wreckage, right? And I included a little bit of the details, a little bit of the prophecy of this wreckage for you. Why? Well, I did that because when you live in self-deception over sin of any sort, one of the reasons that I included this detail is because I want you to appreciate that sin will always wreak havoc and wreckage in your life, but more particularly, it will wreak wreckage and havoc in the lives of the people that you care about, more than your own even, right? Who was, who was the person that really suffered for David's sin? It was actually the child. It wasn't David, right? And that's, that's kind of the point that the passage is making here. You know, David goes to plead on behalf of the child, and, and part of the point that the passage is making is that, you know, when you, when you live in self-deception, when you live in sin and you create wreckage, it's not just that you're going to pay the penalty, it's the people that you care about are going to pay the penalty, right? The people that you love and, and esteem highly in life, they're going to they have to deal with the wreckage that you're making, right? That's part of the reality of what's going on in this passage. And uh, it's prophesied here, and it's, and it's a big a reality of what's going to have to be faced by David and his family and the nation that's going to come. And there's this overwhelming sense of loss uh, that is faced by him. Is there any redemption for it? And likewise, is there any redemption? Some of you are kind of trying to pick up the pieces of some of uh, similar situations, right? Some of you have, have experienced some profound wreckage. Is there any redemption? What does that look like? Well, I think that uh, what's going on here, and one of the reasons why uh, the passage includes the death of this child, uh, I, I thought about this, and I thought, why does the passage include the death of this child? What is going on with this? You know, and I, and I, don't, I especially don't want to make any light of this. You know, anyone here who has lost a child, I, I cannot fathom anything in life that begins to remotely hold a candle to this. I think it is the most painful thing that I can possibly fathom. I have sat with families uh, through that loss, and there is nothing on earth that remotely uh, compares to that pastorally. Right, so why would this passage include that? Why would the Lord um, bring David through this? The only possible answer uh, that I can see in this passage is because what God is doing is He's foreshadowing the ultimate redemption for sin as God would go through this Himself in the cross of Christ. As God would have to say goodbye to His child as God would have to go through the heartache of of turning his face away from the Lord Jesus Christ on that cross, 
so that all of the wreckage that Darren Pesnell has created in, in, in recent weeks and months and years and decades, and, and all of the wreckage that, that you have likewise, through your own hypocrisy, have, have created and caused and will cause, so that that could be dealt with, right? The Lord Jesus Christ would have to go to the cross. The Father's heart would, would be rent and torn asunder. But the greatest heartache and all, and all that could be fathomed would have to happen. And I think that, that David had to, to have a foreshadowing of that. And then in response to that, we see the birth of Solomon, where the Lord comforts them. And he gives them, really after David, I think the greatest king, and so, and, uh, and after David in Israel's history is, of course, the King Solomon. And Bathsheba is comforted as well. And we see even just a foreshadowing of redemption. We see a, a taste of God's goodness in that. And so, kids, what I want you to do just at the end there is, for your last drawing, I want you to draw a big cross in front of a beautiful sunrise with the words, new life, written in the sky. And friends, this is perhaps the heart of the message. You see, uh, there is no sin that you can commit that's too big, right? Most of you, you know, I, I've walked with some of you through some pretty big sins, right? Some of you are really, really good sinners, okay? Um, you know, but I've yet to meet any of you that are kind of at this level, okay? None of you are, 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 none of you are at this level, David's level, right? So cheer up, okay? Cheer up. You're not yet at this level, and hopefully we'll, we'll stay not at this level, right? Some of you have committed some big sins. Some of you have created some wreckage, right? And I don't want to make light of that. I've created wreckage too, um, but we're thankfully not at this level, right? And uh, what I would say to you is that God is a redeeming God. God is the God of, of bringing beauty out of ashes. He is the God of, of second chances and third chances and 10,000 chances, and he is the God that takes even David, right? And he brings new life in the midst of wreckage. And he, look at the birth of Solomon. After all the wreckage David creates, God blesses him with this birth. All the wreckage that he creates, he blesses him. He forgives his sin. And David has no idea why or how or what's going on, but he gives him this choice son, and we won't know, he won't know until thousands of years later when he will give him an even more choice son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will live the perfect life, who will never leave any wreckage, yet will become a wreckage for you. The Lord Jesus Christ, who will absorb every ounce of hypocrisy, who will absorb every wrong, who will take upon himself the deepest, darkest sins that you've committed, and then we'll present you to the Father, holy and blameless and righteous in his sight. Can we worship him this morning for this? Can we have the courage to pursue the kind of friendship presented in this passage, even though it's hard and risky and scary and frightening? Can we be the kind of friend to go address someone in their deception in this way? Can we be the kind of friend to receive someone addressing us in this way? Can we do that? Can we refuse to live pointless lives, isolated, lonely lives? Can we have this kind of friendship because of what Christ has done for us? Can we change our city by being these kind of people? Can we do that? Let me pray. Father God.
what can we do but praise you this morning? Holy Spirit, what can we do but adore you? Lord Jesus, what can we do but worship at your throne? Because you are the Holy One of Israel. You are the one who lived the life we should have lived. You are the one who died the death we should have died. You are the one who has ascended on high and sits at the right hand of God to pray for us in our hypocrisy, to send us friends, to call us out of our deepest, darkest deception, to rescue us from hypocrisy, to call us back to you, to deliver us from the wreckage that we create for ourselves. Love you. We worship you. We adore you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.